0: You're listening to Edupalooza Talks, a special podcast series from Break Free Education. We're proud to share this podcast series as a component of our Break Free Edupalooza an online professional development conference for educators in juvenile justice facilities across the country. In this podcast, we're joined by Robert Alexander, an HBI Home Builders Institute instructor. Robert has worked in construction for over 20 years, taught for seven years, and he chooses this youth population because as a juvenile, he was one of these youth. Robert believes that change must happen from within. And he is here today to share about his tiny house project, We loved what he had to say about how it builds teamwork and is designed to meet the needs of a highly transitionary environment. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. As a part of our interview series for Edupalooza, we'd like to begin these podcasts by getting to know you a little and starting from the very beginning. So I know that you've worked professionally in construction. How did you wind up having a career in education?
1: Honestly, it was not on purpose. Of course, with the economy going up and down like it does with construction, it got kind of low. My wife has been a teacher for 15 years, so she suggested that I become a para. As a construction person, I'm not the most verbally out there, so I had to find an environment that would allow me to sometimes go, whoops, I'm sorry. So I, I started as a para with our juvenile detention center, and then they came to me looking for a construction teacher. I was like, I know nothing about teaching, but sure, why not? And it's just kind of been all downhill from
0: there. Awesome. Well, I've known you for a long time and following a lot of your work and projects. And I know that this is definitely a great spot for you to sort of inspire and train students to go out to have really real world skills. So I'm really glad that you found it and that they found you. I love it. Can you tell me a little bit about your tiny house project?
1: Okay. Well, we do a lot of work with Habitat for Humanity, and they're always trying to find ways to raise money. We had to find a project we could do with the kids that couldn't leave the facility here and go out and do things in the community. So we decided to hunt Grants down. We finally found one, but they told us it had to be a big project. Well, I let the kids pick. We had some very out there ideas. you know. Some wanted to build space shuttles and things like that, but outside my window of so they decided on a tiny house because it kind of looked, as they put it, it was a trap house on wheels. They wanted to build one. I had to get them to explain that to me, but that's another story. The kids looked up everything. They they did the research. They watched so many YouTube videos. They actually took a bunch of different blueprints they found online and put them together to make their tiny house.
0: Wow. That is incredible. Well, and now that you've kind of told us about sort of the discovery process, like I'm kind of curious what happens to the house once you are finished with it?
1: Well, as part of the grant process, we can't profit technically from anything to do with the house. So what we're doing is we're going to build it and donate it to Habitat for Humanity. They're going to auction this thing off and use the proceeds to build a house in the community.
0: Wow, that's incredible. You said it's going to be about like two to three months before. Yeah, we've got about
1: two and a half to three months till we get it finished. Uh, right now we have walls up on the outside. We're framed on the inside. We're just starting to get the roof right and everything going there.
0: Yeah, thank you for sending over those pictures. We're going to include them in the podcast so listeners can take a look at sort of the step-by-step process that you shared. So I think they're going to find that really interesting. And for teachers who see this and think, wow, I'd love to apply for a Perkins grant and do amazing projects like you've started, where do they kind of begin this process?
1: Carl Perkins is what the grant is pretty much called. They have about 5,000 different subparticles. But if you start with your regular public school, every public school gets a Carl's Perkins grant, and they get them for everything from their ag projects to whatever. It doesn't have to be a major project. We did a few years back picnic tables and donated them to all the abuse shelters. So, I mean, you can do any small project you want, but just go in and research Carl Perkins, get with your administrators. They actually have a person that I didn't know existed whose sole job in every county is to write grant proposals and send them
0: in. Wow. So you don't even have to write the grant. No, you just have to come up with an idea. Amazing. And And I love for anyone else listening out there that your small project was picnic tables. I think my small project was like creating that mail holder in my first construction class in seventh grade. We didn't get all the way to picnic tables. Um, but <laughs> but I love that that's a small project because that just shows me, you know, just the amazing things that you guys are doing over there. But we talked a little bit about the project as a whole, kind of the role that students played in the project. And I asked you kind of what are some of the challenges? And we talked about conflict resolution. And I loved that you are using student leadership roles to sort of practice those real world skills Uh, We've included the resource in our notes about how you elect the student supervisor. Can you tell us a bit about this rotating supervisor role that students play in the classroom and what does it mean to get fired? We all want to know.
1: Absolutely. With the supervisor role, what we have did is kids, especially our our youth, our our group of of youth, have got to have a sense of ownership in everything they do or they're going to lose interest. So with their relative short attention span, sometimes we narrowed it down to a week. Each student has the opportunity to try to be the supervisor for a week. He is basically me outside. His word is his law. So part of the process is our questionnaire. We actually kind of hijacked that from a teacher's interview to work in a juvenile facility. You know, what would you do if a student yells at you? What do you how do you handle that? And by doing that, they actually get to explain to us how they would resolve the conflict. They get to have that. And every student seems to want to outdo the supervisor before them. So they're all striving to be better. And it's just amazing some of the answers these kids come up with when you ask them certain conflicts. It's never what you would expect.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And I know you shared a little bit with me that part of their role is when there is conflict, potentially firing a student. So what does that look like? Well, with firing, we started out kind of trying to do like a normal job. You get
1: three warnings, and then we realized that our kids' attention spans three warnings didn't last. So you get one warning, and then you can be fired. But what fired means is, You sit in a chair and get to watch everybody else participate, get credit for, and everything else with that project for that day. Now, at the end of that day, you need to put on paper a reason why you should be rehired. And it has to be something well thought out. It can't be, well, I just want my job back. You know, you have to, okay, this is what I did. This is what I should have done. And it really works. The kids have this fear of, OK, well, I've got to control my temper and I've got to control what I say because I will get fired. It actually has a meaning to them now. And we, we kind of stole it from a very old TV show um, that a former president used to run where he fired everybody. And one of my students was like, you know what? I wish I could fire somebody. And I was like, that's an awesome idea. And so far in the time we've been on this house, we've had two students fired. Both of them have since joined us back, um, and it's, it's a really good process, and they actually warn the new students coming in that it's a real thing, because as a transitional atmosphere, we have kids that leave before the project's done, and other kids that just come in in the middle of the project.
0: Yeah, actually, that was a perfect segue into our next question, which I think is why so many teachers in secure spaces kind of shy away from projects is that there's this huge hurdle around the transitionary nature of our environment. And you have had so many groups cycling through your tiny house project. Tell us a bit like how you manage that and make that work. Um, I know you also just share that like ownership is huge for students. So how do you create that buy-in that they feel like they're picking this project up from where the last group left it and then carrying it forward?
1: Well, I had to get away from the teaching aspect in order to do that. As a teacher, when we do trainings, we're told you show each student every little thing. We can't do that with this environment. So what I do is when the new group comes in, if we're on drywall, that is where they will start. We'll take a day or two and cover what's already been done. And now each group, as they finish their section, they sign it. So inside this house, on the framing, there are signatures and we wish you well, and and, and just comments the kids want to make on every part they've done. Um, Right now, we're doing some electrical wiring. We had the kids are actually writing messages in marker on the sheathing that goes over the wiring. So they each get to put that in there when they're finished. It has to be when they've completed their step. So instead of trying to make them hold all this information about stuff they're not doing, we start each section brand new. So so that gives that kid the idea of, well, I'm not behind and I know this part. So they get to see how their part adds to the previous students to make the whole thing look the way we want.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I love the idea of, I mean, of course you're building something, but you're building on right. each individual piece. It actually reminded me, I visited a secure space in Ohio once and I know you would be jealous to know that they had the space inside of their facility to build an entire house. (laughs) Um, It was quite shocking. But one of the things I found really interesting was that teacher would go in in the morning and break something, and then the students would have to figure out what it was and fix it. And I have to assume that throughout this process, there is some of that troubleshooting as students are building on each other's work. And so I wonder, like, what does that feel like for kids when they're able to kind of fix something along the way? Because I know they want it to be incredible. You're seeing they're, they're leaving their mark on this house. Right.
1: The big things that they get to fix have the most impact. Little things like a missed switch or something, they really don't focus. But one of the things we did was in the pictures you have, we're putting up a wall. When they got that wall up, they realized that one side was an entire inch taller than the other. And for them, that wasn't change one board. They had to take the entire wall down, take it apart, find where they messed up, and then fix it. But it was amazing to see their faces when they got it and they put it up and it lined right up without even trying. You could see the difference. And, and they automatically knew with the next three walls, no, no, this is what we do. And you could see that progression. So by changing little things, or every now and then, I'll change something in the blueprint and they'll go back and find it. And they'll come to me and tell me, "Hey, this is wrong. Something happened." Mm-hmm. Every day we do a twenty-minute meeting with the blueprint so they can explain what we're doing each day, and it, it really does help. That is their job site; they are in charge. And yes, I'm very jealous of the class that got you know has room to build a house. We had to build our own classroom here, so it was very interesting. Um, I know been I've been to visit
0: way. your space, and I I think you've done an amazing job using what space you have. But I do. Agree, you go into some places and they just have these vocational programs that go on and on and on. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: It can be really hard because I know you're working with very little space, which I'm sure, you know, is the only reason you did not build a rocket ship, right? Well, that and the whole rocket fuel aspect. uh... Ah, Yeah, yeah. The flammability. I totally understand. Yeah. Well, uh, I live about 15 minutes away from where Elon Musk tests his rockets. And so multiple times during the day, my entire house will shake as they're testing those rockets. So uh, I, I would have to say it might even impact the rest of your community if you were building a rocket as well. It
1: definitely would, especially where we're at.
0: Well, I think everybody would want to know that in the next two to three months, when you wrap up this tiny house, what is next for you and your students?
1: We're still going to work with Habitat, but we're switching to what's called a teardrop trailer. Um, It's a smaller five by eight camper with its own little kitchen. And we're going to try to work with Habitat to donate them to homeless veterans. It's something small enough that we can put pretty much anywhere. And they can move them around as they can, those that are able to. So we're going to see what we can do with that. We're reaching out to a few different places now to see how that would work. And that's that's just what's
0: next right now. That's incredible. I can't wait to see the pictures of that one. So I hope you send them along when you're finished. absolutely will. Um, it's really been a lot of fun chatting with you today and learning about your tiny house project. I, I just thank you so much for joining us and really kind of enlightening us to the work that you do, because not every program out there has the ability to find these incredible grants or take on these huge projects. And so you're definitely a diamond in the rough out there. We are asking all of our guests if they have a podcast, website, newsletter, or book that they've really enjoyed and want to recommend to others. It could be work-related or it could just be something that you've enjoyed personally. Um, So we'd love to hear something that you'd recommend to our listeners.
1: Oh, recommend. Well, for the last month, I've been so buried in the state of Florida's new code updates for building that that has been my book and podcast and YouTube video for about 90 days. Um, Aside from that, I know they just released some book to audio for Terry Brooks, his Shannara series. Actually, that's a really good series. It's really great. But other than that, I'm kind of stuck in the code book for another month or two, so.
0: (laughs) Nice. You know, hey, reading technical manuals and code is something that we all had to do at some point. So we appreciate you getting in there and uh, keeping everything up to date. And we'd also love to close our podcast out with some advice. So I'm wondering if you have any advice or wise words that you'd like to share with the other educators who might be listening.
1: There are so many opportunities to do things with your students that Honestly, when it comes to teaching, especially with our environment, asking for forgiveness instead of permission is absolutely mandatory. If you wait for all ways for your administration to say, okay, you probably missed something. Just go for it. That's all you can do. Go for it.
0: That's awesome. And I definitely live by that. And I love to say the worst thing someone can say is no. So just keep asking because you're going to get a lot of yeses that you maybe didn't expect. So I think that's wonderful advice. Thank you to you, Robert, and to you listeners for joining us today for this short podcast as a part of our Edupalooza conference. We're grateful for all the educators out there doing the incredible work of making school happen inside of juvenile facilities, and especially during these challenging times. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Edupalooza Talks, a break-free education podcast. Music for this podcast was written and produced by students at the JC Montgomery School, located inside Kings County Juvenile Detention Center in Central California, as a part of Unsung, Break Free Education's annual songwriting initiative for students held in confinement. Edupalooza Talks podcast is produced by our friend and colleague, Christine Anjoko.
1: i to show the fam I got him don't know how to love. I'm really trying to do my best, I guess it ain't enough I don't know who to trust, small heart been broken up I'm trying to keep a smile up, but I've been feeling numb Better tell me, gotta watch who I be riding with I didn't listen, now I'm back up in the fight pit They put me in this cash, and they expect me change But it only make me worse, and y'all the ones to blame I gotta take a second, I gotta catch a there. Cause I've been sitting 192, and it isn't fair Would you come in switch position, no you wouldn't My life and I'm just in a chair Life could change at any moment